The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. How to staff up fast, for free, often, and with low risk. I think there are three main stages when you're looking to scale up and staff up. And I'm going to go into a bit of detail in this video and um, disruptive entrepreneur podcast on staffing up without all the huge overhead, risk, outlay, etc. I get asked this question all the time. In fact, um, a couple of days ago, it was Ruma Hamid, who's a VIP client of ours, who asked me to go into detail on um, how do you have revenue generating staff? What do I mean by revenue generating staff? It all sounds good to say, yeah, all staff need to be revenue generating or most of them. But how do you make admin staff, operational staff revenue generating? Um, So I'm going to go into some detail on that. Um, So on a really basic level, I think three stages and phases of hiring is number one, your initial early hires. You know, the ones that get you from being a one man band or one woman band entrepreneur, hustler, doing everything yourself, admin, sales, marketing, branding, social media, product, service, customer service. You know, ch- invoices, chasing payments, chasing bad payments. You know, you, you, you do all this yourself when you start. And so that, that first stage is getting over that threshold of actually having some help. Then I think the, the second stage or phase, this isn't necessarily in order, by the way, two and three, but the second would be, you know, having enough staff to maintain your current workload. And then the third stage is when you're in growth phase, you know, when you're scaling up fast, you're hiring up fast. It's almost like you can't hire up quick enough. You've actually got good budget to employ people, but finding really good talent quick enough is your main challenge. So they're probably the three main stages. So I'll focus um, mostly on the first stage, that getting over that threshold of no staff to some staff. Now, it could be deemed as um, quite clickbaity to say on the title of this um, video and podcast, getting staff for free. Um, But you can acquire staff for free if you have a recommendation from a friend, a family member or a business owner because you're not paying recruitment fees. Now, um, recruitment fees and recruitment companies are actually our top source of staff. But our second highest source of staff, good staff, is referrals from our existing team members or people we know, because there's that element of trust there. So actually, you can acquire and hire a staff member um, for free if there's no recruitment fees. Um, But of course, they've got to be paid a salary and or a commission. So I'm going to give you a few little ways that you can acquire them for free or low cost Uh, and then talk about how you can acquire more of them and how you can make them revenue generating and pay for themselves. So the first thing that you could do is you could do a pro rating of services, a contra of services, if you like, whereby you'll do some of your services for someone. 
in exchange for them doing some of their services for you before you hire your first full-time staff member. So instead of having a full-time designer, you might get a web designer to design your website or you know build your um, e-commerce engine in exchange if let's say you're a property sourcer and you source them a property. And so you make contra services. Um, and in the early days, that hustling and being creative can actually get you through where you might get a year or two's worth of value of a salary in exchange for your products and services. Now, there's a downside to that. The downside to that is um, maybe the commitment and accountability is not there as much because obviously, um, you know, you're not paying them and maybe they're not committed. But if you provide them a good service in return, that could help. So really, you're going to have a breakthrough threshold probably year. And for Mark and I setting up Progressive Property, that was 2007, where we started our company end of 06, start of 07. We built it and we just did everything ourselves. And you can convince yourselves that actually no one can do the job as well as you. And you can't afford to hire anyone yet. And you want to make profit and you don't want to have you know stress on your overhead. So you can end up doing all the jobs yourself, which actually you shouldn't be doing yourselves. Um, you know, that are non-income generating. And that was Mark and I. Uh, and that's really common for entrepreneurs to do, to feel like you have to do everything yourself. But you get to the point where you become very overwhelmed, stressed, over busy. And actually, if you get to the point where, let's say seven or six hours is your optimum working hours in a day, uh, and actually three quarters of that, you're doing revenue generating tasks, Anything above that will be admin, it will be customer service, it will be dealing with issues, fixing um, problems and things that don't necessarily bring in revenue. And there's a lot of people on the live, by the way, going, yeah, that's me, yeah, that's me, that's me. So what ends up happening is you end up working more, but bringing in less revenue. And then the problems and issues and admin take up all of your time and then they end up swallowing up your revenue generating time. And then you end up get hitting your ceiling of earning capacity or you even start per hour to earn less. This is a classic entrepreneurial paradox. So let's go back to I want to help you avoid that situation. So um, option number one is you contra services with providers that could offer value to you and, and you to them in, in return to get things done, to get you started, to bring some money in. Option number two is you, you get help from friends, family, uh, apprentices, you know, and, and people who might come and do some work experience for you. So actually, our first hire was Mark's mum, my business partner, and our second hire was my mum. Now, we paid them... Um, a small amount of money because they were prepared to help us for love and support for their sons to get us off the ground. I mean, my mum still works with us today, although she's paid a full time salary now. But back then they were only being paid about five thousand odd pounds, which is the first amount you can um, earn without um, any tax being paid. And they were happy to do that. And they started on part time and they ended up just, I think, through momentum uh, working full time and Mark's mum was managing a lot of the admin and the refurbs of the property purchases and, you know, doing a lot of there's a lot of admin when you buy property. And then my mum was doing admin and support with me and dealing with customers and incoming emails, etc. And what that enabled Mark and I to do was liberate ourselves from admin, which is non-income generating, to then do more income generating tasks. So I would go to more networking events. I'd speak on the stage 
and be able to present our products and services. Mark would go and source. He'd have more time to deal with estate agents and build relationships with sources and he'd have been able to buy more property. And what they helped us do is bring in more revenue. And then when we brought in more revenue, we had some money to invest in our first official non-family member staff member. Um, now, you think hiring someone is quite high risk. Um, well, there are risks attached, don't get me wrong, but let me show you some things which you might not have thought of. So the first thing is, um, a staff member works for you for 30 days in arrears. So they work for 30 days, then you pay them their salary. They work for another 30 days, then you pay them their salary. They work for another 30 days, then you pay them their salary. So you're all, they're always 30 days in arrears or you're, you're always 30 days up front. So actually, if you manage them well and target them well on revenue generating tasks, you could actually get them to earn their salary before you pay them their salary. And then the next month, you get them to earn their salary before they, you pay them their salary. So let's say you're going to pay someone 35 grand a year. Well, all in with, you know, national insurance from the employer, pension contribution, etc. That might be 45 grand a year. So let's call that four grand a month. So as long as you can get them to do sales of five grand a month, then gross there, you've basically got them for free. If you want them net for free, look at maybe double their salary. So um, I like staff members to generate between two and three and a half times their salary. Uh, and a salesperson could generate five or 10 times their salary. So if in their job description, uh, if in their um, key result areas and income generating tasks in their job description, which by the way, if you don't know what they are or don't have any of those, you need to read Life Leverage. It's really important to you to read that. Um, you set out even um, admin staff. So this is where people get a bit confused. They're like, Rob, I get salespeople bring in revenue, should pay for themselves. I get marketing people bring in revenue, should pay for themselves, double, triple, quadruple. But what about my PA? You know, what about ops? Um, you know, what about finance, general admin? How do they bring in revenue? Well, I'll come to that. But what you do is you set key result areas and income generating tasks um, that um, either hit their, their, their benchmark target might be uh, their gross revenue, uh, and then um, the next ben benchmark might be twice that. And what I mean by gross is, if you're paying them four grand a month and, and they bring in four grand a month, they're not quite paying their salary um, because that's um, turnover, not profit that you're bringing in. Um, but if they can um, earn your net profit margin per month, then they're completely and utterly free. I'll come back to all this. I've got, a, I'm going to open a few loops here, but this is really important. I hope you're finding this useful so far. Um, so Jagoda has said, what if you don't have family members who can help? You have friends, you have people who have um, prorated products and services. Um, you know, so if you, I, so for example, I know what Jagoda does. She um, does 3D renders and lifelike designs of, you know, interiors and exteriors of properties for developers and interior designers. That's a service that you could go and give to people in exchange for services that they could give to you that you need. Um, Ash has just said, I agree, most family members are negative, jealous and envious. Um, I don't, I think that's an unfair blanket statement, Ash, to say most family members are aggressive, are negative, jealous and envious. That might be your experience, but I wouldn't say that's the world's experience. My, my parents and my um, business partner's parents certainly weren't that. Um, yours might be, and I'm not judging anyone because we all have different experiences. So if you've got family members that are negative, jealous and envious, then you need to find wider family members or friends. Or don't do that part. Just carry on listening and, and miss that part out. But I think we, we should always look, be looking for solutions and not problems. Um, so, you know, I have, uh, I've got a friend called Nick 
Um, and he used to do all of our web design and build all of, our, all of our pages and logos and brand. And he did that in exchange for services for us. Mark and I, um, we would source properties for people because that was our value in exchange for services from them. So you've just got to be a bit creative. Go down to a, a, a networking event because at networking event, you know, you've got all the different types of local businesses. Go down there. I had a good friend, Lyndon, who's still a friend, actually. I think Lyndon's still doing business with us. Um, and we sourced Lyndon five or six properties and he did all of our web hosting or he, he trained me up on AdWords. He helped me with all the landing pages and, and building what, what, what the Americans now call the funnels. So we did that as a prorated exchange. Thanks for the stars, by the way, um, Jagoda. That's great. So there's always a way. And this is good, by the way, why you um, whenever you have any challenges, concerns or questions, fire them into my live feed because then I can help you overcome them. I've been there. You know, I had 95 staff before the lockdown and after this lockdown, we'll have a similar number when once they're all out of furlough. Uh, and there was a time, what, 12 years ago when I had no staff. So it, the hardest thing is that little bridge, that um, threshold, but no staff to four or five staff. I'd argue your first four or five hires should be PAVA, could be either one or both, ops manager, um, head of marketing or a marketing person and a salesperson. So people are always confused, what staff should I hire? Well, if you hire a salesperson first and let's say their, their salary is, it costs you three grand a month because salespeople, you can get on a much lower salary and a much higher base, sorry, a much lower basic, much lower salary and a much higher commission. So let's say you want them to earn three times their Salary, that, that's reasonable. That's going to mean they're free. Now, their salary is likely to be quite low because they're low salary, high commission. Um, so you're probably less than 20 grand in the UK in most, even in higher expensive areas. We're even less than that in Peterborough. So um, I, I might have a, um, a benchmark minimum in my um, key result areas for my uh, salesperson. So I'm writing them a job description. I've got their key result areas. You know, I've got their non-negotiables, their deliverables. They're also known as MSOPs, which is minimum standards of performance. So you have a minimum standard of performance and a key result area. And that will be bringing in 60 grand a year in new sales revenue. Um, and you would target them on that. And of course, you're commissioning them over and above their salary. Um, and they have to hit that target every month as a minimum standard of their job. Otherwise, you're going to need to create a, a performance plan for them and start performance managing them. So actually, you can do that from a very early hire. If your first person that you hire is in sales or marketing, then they're naturally going to be revenue generating. So what's holding you back from doing that? And that can liberate you to do even higher revenue generating tasks. You could go and source the big contracts, do the big joint ventures and partnerships. And then your salesperson could go and do, you know, the ongoing day-to-day um, -day selling and sales and prospecting and lead generation. Or your head of marketing could generate all the leads and then your salesperson can convert the leads. Um, now, so let me go back. Um, so um, the thing with salaries is people think, oh man, I've got to pay... 35 grand a year plus national insurance for the employer, uh, plus pension, plus bits, plus recruitment fee. Man, we're talking 45 grand plus a year. No, no, no. You pay that in installments of 12 in the year. So you pay four grand a month, but you get 30 days free work from them. Then you pay the next four grand, but you get 30 days free work for them. So as long as they're targeted, targeted well, managed well, they have good minimum standards, standards of performance, 
Good key result areas, good income generating tasks, all in their job description. They have a clear vision for their role. You manage them and support them well. You give them all the resources, uh, ongoing onboarding and training. They should be able to earn double, triple their salary, and then they're free. But they're not just free, they're more than free. So I've got staff members that have brought in three or four million pounds that might have cost us 350 or 400 grand in that time. So they're bringing in 10 times their salary, which means you can then invest in non-income generating stuff. Okay, great. Um, in the first year of hiring, the, the, um, the, the legal um, ramifications are pretty low. And as long as you're not breaking any really big employment laws, such as discrimination, you know, anything like that, um, disability discrimination is one, um, you, you know, there's no wrongful or unfair dismissal. As long as you're within the legalities of reasonable employment, you can get to the end of the year and you can basically say, thank you for um, working for me. I, I, I don't feel that it's working out for either of us and ask them to move on. And, you know, you won't have been in an employment tribunal, have to pay redundancy or, you know, whatever. Because um, in that first year, I wouldn't say the laws really favour the employer. I think a lot of the laws are quite in favour for the employee. But um, even into the second year, you've got quite a lot of protection whereby it reduces your risk to hire, which I think is really important for an employer. So a lot of people are, oh, I'm hiring someone. It's a massive commitment. Well, actually, within that first year, it can almost be a trial and then you can just um, move on um, if you need to. So again, there's not a huge amount of risk. The next thing then is how do you make your... Um, on first glance, non-income generating staff, income generating. So let's say you've got a, a PA. Well, you could say to your PA, um, anything that you um, purchase for me, because your PA are probably paying your um, train fares, your flights, your accommodation, might be buying things for you, stationery, etc. I get um, asked my PA to do a lot of my personal purchases. And so you can say to them, um, anything that you save, um, on the, you know, on the initial, um, what, would, what would it be called? You know, when someone, you, you can get them to price compare um, and anything that you save, I'll pay you 20% on um, and you can incentivize them to save money. So anyone in finance, they could go through your direct debits. They could go through a lot of the costs you have. They could go and look at new suppliers regularly um, and they could save you a lot of money and that could end up being their salary. Um, and we have incentives where any saving that anyone makes for us in our company, proven saving against um, what we we're originally paying, we pay them up to 20% of that saving. Um, and now often we have to pay it in arrears because it might be a yearly billing cycle. Um, and, and obviously it means that, you know, they're more incentivized to stay because they've got to collect that revenue. And um, we'll pay it to them you know, when we get the money, if we get the money more quickly. So what you can actually do is you can go through all of your hires. So PA, VA, ops, and you can go, oh, okay, how can I have key result areas and income generating tasks in this role, even though on the surface of it, it doesn't look like they're income generating. How can I reward them on, on savings as well as revenue? Because by the way, when you save a pound, you save the whole pound. But when you make a pound, you probably make 15p in that pound. So you could argue saving one pound is like making five pounds or six pounds. So don't ever um, diminish or um, disrespect and undermine the power of saving a pound. Um, so it, it, writing this job description is really important. And the way I write a job description is I have the vision of the company at the top, which is hopefully inspiring to them, the values of the company, 
Then I have um, their main job description, what their job entails, but selling it, not just sort of like, you've got to clock in at this time and clock out at that time, log in here and do this and do that. Then we have their key result areas, which are the five, six, seven things that they do, um, which bring in the, basically is their minimum standards of performance, but in a more empowered, inspiring way, the key tasks they have to do to basically maintain their job. Then we have the income generating tasks. Then we have the minimum standards of performance and then the general operational tasks. And that would be about a two page document. That's really how um, we'd create a job description. It's vital to do that. It's vital because it, um, you can give that to recruiters and people who are looking to have a job with you uh, and that can inspire them. And it can also make it really clear what the job is, because a lot of entrepreneurs, when we hire at the start, we don't have any of these systems and processes. We don't have good job apps, good job descriptions. We don't have onboarding. We don't have good training. And so what happens is people don't really know what their job is. Um, and often staff members are taking a risk working for an entrepreneur because, you know, they could go and work for a big corporate, which has got a bigger, a bigger pension scheme, you know, a, a, a more clear career path because, oh, there's my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's 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 boss. And that is my career path. So they take risks working for you. So any, any of these systems and processes that you can set up in advance will really benefit you and sell why people should work for you. I'm telling you, I've got to get in your head here because as you could see from some of the questions I had, scaling up and hiring up and having staff it's as much as a mindset block for entrepreneurs is a reality. I'm not saying there isn't any risk, but like I said, if their job um, brings in two, three, four, five times their salary, there should be no risk. They need to be managed well. They need to be guided well by the key result areas and income generating tasks and minimum standards of performance, of course. Um, you can make non-standard, non non-income generating roles income generating. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a, a personal brand manager and he gets a commission on all sponsorship and endorsements he brings in. Now, when he first started, he didn't have that in his job description, but we introduced that. So he's just cutting a deal with StreamYard at the moment. Hopefully that will come off. He cut a deal with um, Blinkist. He's got six or seven sponsorship opportunities he's looking at at the moment. Um, there's other companies that we're in, in discussion with. And if he brings in four or five grand a month in sponsorship, then that covers his salary. And that means I've got a free staff member. And that's how I'm trying to look at it. If every staff member can bring in three, four or um, five grand a month, obviously some of your staff, you know, you pay them more than that, or at least you cover their basic salary. Because by the way, the more commission they earn, the more you earn. So you don't, you don't need to cover their commission at all because their commission is already covered because they might be getting 10, 20, 30% on what they generate or 5%. And you're getting the rest. So that's all covered. So you don't want an upside. A lot of people put ceilings and upsides on commissions or they punish um, commission based people. The more they earn, you should be doing the opposite. You should ratchet it positively that the more they bring in, the more they earn. So, you know, they might earn 5% on the first 10 grand, but then it should be 6% on the next 10 grand, then 7% on the next 10 grand, then 8% on the next 10 grand and ratcheting up and up and up, not down and down and down. So you incentivize them to push through their income ceilings. Let me know if you're finding this useful, by the way. I didn't actually take any notes. So I'm just wondering if there's anything left. Normally I have some notes to go by, but I'm just kind of I'm spitballing this from personal experience. Um, but you can hire today based on pro-rating and exchanging and contouring services, which we did. All of this stuff I'm telling you, by the way, we did. I did. 
Um, so Nick did a load of our design, web, logo. He designed our logos, which we've used for 12, 13 years. He designed the second version. Um, and, you know, and in exchange, we gave him products and services. Lynn did all of our hosting, landing pages, sales pages, tip, taught me AdWords, etc. in exchange for sourcing a few properties for him. And I'm sure we did a lot more of that. And that probably would have equated to, it could have equated to between 100 and 200 grand's worth of cost in salaries. We ended up hiring our mums and we paid them a very, very small amount of money. Now, some people have said, what if you don't have family? Okay, so friends. Some people have said, what if you don't get on with your family? Okay, friends. What if you don't have any friends? Okay, then you need to find other people outside your network, go to, to local networking events or move to stage three, which is to hire revenue generating staff on day one. Now, I believe that um, a staff... Be a staff member being revenue generating is actually down to you and it's down to you creating a good job description and you creating good income generating tasks and you have a really good key result areas and you get, getting them to prioritize well, not spreading them thin and giving them a million things to do. I'd, I've done this loads of times and it's not good um, but because I'm entrepreneurial, but I'd hire someone and I'd get them to do a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of everything, a bit of everything because I'm desperate to get everything done. Uh, you know, and I like doing loads of different things and I like my staff to be entrepreneurial because I am. And in the end, they're like, Rob, what's my job? What's my job? I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. And then in the end, they can't do all the um, income generating tasks. And then they're spread so thin um, and, and then they end up doing a load of stuff that doesn't bring in the money for you. Um, someone has asked here about outsourcers. Um, now, I've done um, videos, live streams, ask me anything. And episodes about outsourcers. I did one about insourcers versus outsourcers recently. So that'll either go on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast or you can find that on my page. But what I will do, because that's a request and I always do content as requests from my community. Thanks for following me, by the way. Um, I will do another um, episode just on outsourcers um, because, hey, look, you can build your whole company on Upwork, on Fiverr, on um, people per hour, um, or on onlinejobs.ph. Uh, there's all these different outsourcing websites. You could get a VA, not a PA. Um, and that's viable. I just like in-house staff because I find I can manage them better. I find that I want to build an empire, not a lifestyle business. If you want a lifestyle business, then you want to be mobile free. You don't want to be restricted. You don't want an office. Therefore, you need people who are used to and motivated to uh, working from home. Um, and, you know, you have to have online systems to manage them. And that's really different. And by the way, a staff member that can work from home all day, every day is a really different kind of staff member than someone that works in an office. The ones that work in an office, they like the buzz, the energy, the people, the culture, but they probably need a bit more management. The ones that work from home, probably more self-managed, but there's no culture. They're not probably going to be as loyal. They're not going to get that sense of, you know, what your values are. They're probably working for five other people as well. And, you know, are you their highest priority? So you've got to trade these off. And like I said, I've done a deep dive episode on comparing the two and, um, and actually doing a bit of both, maybe. Um, now, having revenue generating staff is really important. And I think a lot of people, um, they worry that they're going to really increase their overhead. They're going to reduce their profit. And that is a viable worry, by the way. That's a worry you should have. Just don't let it um, you know, cripple you and freeze you into never hiring. So what you need to do is make sure there is some revenue attribution um, and, and each staff member you hire is in some way revenue generating. Now, in the early hires, this is actually easier. But when you have 95 staff and you like we have and you've got quite a lot of admin support, quite a lot of tech, quite a lot, you know, in um, design, quite a lot, you know, in sort of like we have a webmaster, we have campaign managers, 
and we have a lot of people in, in finance, they're not necessarily specifically revenue generating. And what that does is it stresses the overhead and it gives you increased risk. So um, what you want to do is make sure you've always got a percentage of your staff that are revenue generating you on track that. So generally, as a company grows, the percentage of revenue generating staff is lower because they hire in a load of admin to manage all the incoming work that you've created. Um, and, you know, in the early days, um, maybe not my, our mums, but definitely in our early days, four out of five staff will be revenue generating. Um, so, you know, 80 percent staff are revenue generating. They pay the salary and more. But maybe when we got to nearly 100 staff, maybe that might have been, I don't know, 40%, 50% maybe. And, you know, that then becomes a worry because, um, you know, your main costs in business will probably be marketing, or at least it should be. Um, and certainly staff, um, you know, is essentially your fixed wages. Um, that's going to be a really big overhead. It might be your biggest cost. It can be a one third of all of your revenue. So you want to keep a close eye on that. Eye on that. And you want to track a key a metric. Um, KPI, which is, you know, percentage of staff that are revenue generating. I also track revenue per staff member. So if my um, revenue per staff member um, gets near their salary, then I'm, no, I'm making no money. If my revenue per staff member is three, four, five, ten times their salary, then I'm making loads of money. And that's simply you take all of your turnover and you divide it by the number of staff. Um, and as you want that revenue per staff member on average to go up and up and up. And the more it goes down, the less um, revenue generating staff you've got or your staff aren't generating enough of a multiplier of their salary. Um, and then the, the higher revenue per staff member you've got, the more profit margin there is, you know, the, the more lean you are, the less fixed cost you have. I don't mind having massive commissions because commissions are not fixed costs, they're variable costs. You don't pay commissions when the revenue isn't generated, but you do pay salaries when the revenue is generated. So you want to keep those fixed costs really low and those variable costs, costs of sale. Um, commissions are costs of sale. You want to keep them at, at, at the higher end. Um, yeah. So anyway, what, what's the time? I better hit the gym. It's that time of day. I ended up going a bit longer than I thought. I thought this would be a caffeine cast, but I hope you found this loose, useful, looseful, useful. Um, I just want to challenge you. You can staff up quick. Mark and I probably didn't staff up as quickly as um, maybe we could have done. I often get asked the question, hey, Rob, if you could <clears throat> go back and change one thing or what advice would you give your 25 year old self? You know, they're two questions I get daily. I don't really have any regrets in building our business. And I think we've done a pretty good job, <laughs> made more than 120 million, become a multimillionaire, done what I've done. So why would I change anything? But Mark and I were definitely probably a bit too slow to hire because we had the same fears you do. Oh, we can't get good staff. Oh, we'd have to manage them. We haven't got time to do that. Oh, they probably won't do a good job. Oh, they'll probably nick RIP, set up in competition against us. We haven't got the money in the bank right now. That's a big risk. We had all of those fears. So what do you do? You work harder yourself, but you get to a point where your productivity, your efficiency and your priority go down. I would argue you could do three to five really good hours work a day. Robin Sharma reckons five. I, you know, when I interviewed him for my podcast, I don't even think you need to do that. I would argue that over that, you're going to become unproductive, inefficient, wasteful. You're going to end up um, task jumping. You're going to get stressed and tired. You're going to make bad decisions. You're going to start losing money. You're going to end up having to do a load of admin, get interrupted all the time. And I bet you, every one of you watching and listening, I bet you, you spend hours of your day, a certain amount, being 
being dragged from pillar to post, other people's emergencies, putting out fires, dealing with minutiae, dealing with admin that doesn't bring in any revenue when you should be doing marketing, selling, building your brand and uh, of your, per, you know, your personal brand, your company brand. You should be in growth and revenue um, strategy and planning. And instead you're in, you know, dealing with emergencies and spending hours stuck on the phone and dealing with problems. Um, and the more hours a day you do, the more you'll get sucked into that. So it is a myth. It's a complete myth that actually, um, let me just put the light on. Ooh. Uh, it, it's a myth that you need to work more hours. You need more staff working hours for you. Think about this. Um, let's say you're working eight hours a day. Um, if you work an extra two hours a day, then you'll probably get to your capacity where you're stressed and you're working 10 hours a day. But if you just hire one more staff member who does eight hours a day, then there's 16 hours a day being done. Your eight hours and their eight hours. So you go from eight to 10 on your own, but your productivity goes down, your mistakes go up. Or you go from eight to 16 with one staff member. Well, with 10 staff members, that's 160 hours a day done. With 100 staff members, that's 1,600 hours a day done. And then you can take your eight down to four or two. So it's not about working harder, it's about working smarter, it's about leverage, it's about um, you know, the scaling of the income generating tasks and to finish making sure as many staff members are revenue generating and for uh, all the, the um, roles and responsibilities and jobs that you have that you think aren't staff, aren't revenue generating, make them revenue generating, give them commissions on winning new business, give them commissions on doing sales, give them commissions on converting people um, online, give them commissions if people private message them to turn them into revenue, give them commissions for recommending other staff, give them commissions for recommending your service, make them an ambassador for you so they can refer your products and services and they can get a good commission, give them 20%-ish um, revenue of the money that they save I mean, I spend tens of thousands of pounds a month personally. So a staff member could save three or five grand a month just on the money that I spend, you know, just, just my own living expenses. Um, so you, uh, you, you just have to be strategic. You have to think creatively. Um, you have to think of um, upside benefit. And if you're too busy in admin yourself, then you can't be creative to set up all these systems and schemes um, and rewards for your staff. Um, but if you, if you add up referring staff to you, add up saving on anything that they reduce the cost to you on, referring business to you, um, and generating any extra revenue, if you add up all those four things, even on a non-staff, non-revenue generating staff member, that could be worth three, five, ten grand a month. And all of a sudden you've turned admin into sales and then you've turned 30, 40% revenue generating staff to 80, 90% revenue generating staff. You can do it. But if you don't do it, here's, here's the consequence of not doing this. Um, one, you'll work more and more and more and more hours, but you'll be less and less productive and you'll generate less and less revenue per hour. So your revenue per hour will go down instead of going up. Two, you will never scale. You will never go from local to national to intercontinental to global. Um, you'll never increase your revenue more than, you know, very low six figure. Um, you'll never enjoy your job properly or never be truly um, a reflection of you and serving you. You'll become a slave to it. Um, yeah. So um, where's the pain? You either have the pain of non-growth or the pain of growth. Um, and in my view, I'd rather take the pain of growth. I'd rather take the pain of upside than the pain of downside. Ash has been getting very brave. Ash has been following me for a few years. He has moments on and moments off. 
And now he starts saying that my 175,000 pound Porsche Panamera Turbo S is a Skoda. And he's criticizing my shirt. And I'm giving him all this help and free advice, Ash. And Ash doesn't even have a profile photo. Come on, Ash. Get with the program. You know I love you. Thanks for following me all these years, Ash. Thanks for following me all these weeks, months and years, all of you who've been following me. If you're listening to the podcast episode, make sure you follow me on my social media. So I'm on LinkedIn very prolifically. I'm on Facebook very prolifically. And I'm also on Instagram very prolifically. Um, Rob Moore Progressive on my profile handles. Um, And if you're watching um, on my Facebook Lives, make sure you listen to my podcasts, Money and Disruptive Entrepreneur. They're my two podcasts. Most people don't even know I have two podcasts. They only know one. Um, and um, I've got three billionaire interviews coming up. I've got another uh, two agreed. Um, and I'm making the content really exclusively different per platform now. Because in, in the early years, to grow your brand, you'd do a piece of content and then you'd repurpose it across channels. And I still do some of that. Um, like I'm doing my podcast now and the live video. Um, but now I'm doing more um, exclusive content. So I'm doing Instagram Lives. Uh, which is unique content. Obviously, I do my daily Facebook Live sometimes too. Um, and a lot of content now on my podcast is not on my other channels. So following me on all channels won't mean you just get the same stuff over and over again. It'll mean you get different content, um, unique content per platform. Zoe likes the shirt. So Ash, you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. If you found this content useful, please share it. People always say to me, hey, Rob, you've really helped me. How can I help you? I'm not so good at asking for help, um, but if you would either review me on Facebook or review my podcast or review my books as and when you consume them. And as you see content that you like, I wouldn't expect you to share stuff that doesn't resonate with you. I wouldn't expect everything I cover to resonate with you. Uh, and that's fine. Everyone is entitled to my opinion. <laughs> uh, but no, I wouldn't expect that. Um, but I do like to challenge you and I do like to get in your head. Um, someone asked me once, hey, Rob, um, how do you like to be remembered? And I thought it was a really good question. And um, I don't just want you to agree with everything I say, because if you do, it means I'm not teaching you anything. I'm not challenging you. You're not growing, consuming my content. So how I'd like to be remembered is maybe sometimes I got under your skin. Maybe sometimes I challenged you. Maybe sometimes you didn't agree with me. Maybe sometimes I got in your face. Maybe sometimes I pissed you off. Maybe when you first heard about me, you didn't really like my style or you found me a bit pushy or you found me a bit... I don't know, whatever you found, oh, Rob, he's an acquired taste. Um, But then over time, you got a lot of value and benefit from me. And I challenged your thinking. And sometimes you didn't agree with me, but sometimes you didn't. Sometimes I changed your mind. That is how I would like to be remembered. So if there's any content of mine that you like or challenges you, please share it so that we can get the message out there. My vision is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education. I have a foundation I set up a few years ago, the Rob Moore Foundation, and that is doing that. And, you know, we're making a big difference there um, and helping a lot of people. And we're giving a lot of sponsorships and apprenticeships away. I've been giving um, phone calls to, you know, young entrepreneurs and apprentices to help them start their business. We've had some people apply for apprenticeships in our company. I gave a £3,000 grant. I've done various raises, £17,000 for someone's emergency kidney operation, £10,000 for someone's emergency brain operation, £20,000 for the NHS. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, you help us, me, make a big difference in the Rob Moore Foundation. There's people applying to be patrons. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really privileged and proud to be part of, um, you know, I really see what we have here in my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, and on my videos as a community. It's not just me, you know, talking and you. Yes, Rob, yes, Rob, yes, Rob. 
Um, and you know I come and engage in all the comments. And um, if you've got any special requests for content, please let me know. And please share this video with others who you think can benefit from it. I love you all. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.